Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. So we're starting a series today uh, that's going to carry us through the next four weeks called Wounds. And I want to say on the front end, this series is going to be heavy. There is going to be a lot of tension because we are talking about some parts of our lives that maybe we have not talked about ever or we, we don't like talking about, we refuse to talk about. The wounds in our lives, the wounds where people have abused us, neglected us, betrayed us, hurt us in some way, physically, verbally. There's a, there's a lot. And here's what I want to start with this morning. One, this series I'm not removed from by virtue of being a pastor. What I mean by that is this series has been working itself out in me for a time that I have been very uncomfortable with. I haven't been embraced this. In fact, when I was with my counselor, I think two weeks ago, right? We were, we were with our, our counselor and I literally said to our counselor, I said, and you know, can I use a little, little, little language with you guys? Don't worry, be too strong. I said, I don't want to do this stupid series anyway, Roger. This is dumb that the Holy Spirit has me facing my wounds in front of the church. And it was just, just so obvious that God's doing a healing work here. So I, I just say that with you to just say, I'm not removed from this. And there's no, there's no answer Sunday. There's no, this is what's gonna fix your wound today. In fact, you'll probably leave this morning maybe feeling a little bit worse, but with a little more hope. You'll be a little bit more aware of the wound, but you also have the hope of Jesus because we're gonna talk. And for four weeks, we're gonna discover four values that believers, those who have a relationship with Jesus are privileged to, to carry with them. Because being a believer doesn't mean you're not gonna get wounded. I love when people say they love Blaze Church, it's their perfect church, they finally found their church, they came from church hurt and now they're here. And I'll often say, just give us about a month and we will hurt you. <laughs> just, just give it some, why? Because we're all people in process. And here's the solace that maybe we might find this morning. The person sitting next to you is wounded. And I don't say that to, to demean you, it's the reality. Maybe you're having a hard time admitting it, and this is the journey, but every single one of us has some wound to some degree. And it, it can be a deep open wound. It could be a paper cut. How many know sometimes it's the stub toe that hurts? Like, man, I knew that couch was there. It's been there my whole life. And it's just that little, that little pain, but we, we all have a wound. And what we're gonna discover is how we can find healing from our past. So let me define wound for you. I encourage you to maybe write this one down. A wound is this, it's a life impacting moment or a set of experiences. A wound is a life impacting moment. So when we use this phrase throughout this series, a wound, we're talking about something that's been created in you either by others or even self-inflicted, but it's a moment that you can recall or it's a set of experiences. So there was a moment where you were sexually abused and it created a wound there. It just took one moment. You're wounded. Or it was a set of experiences. Every day you came home and you saw mom and dad fighting. It was over and over and over. Or mom and dad weren't there. Or you were betrayed by a friend circle. Or th there was something that took place that was either it marked you immediately or it was just ongoing and the wound has been dug deeper and deeper and deeper. It's a wound. 
Now, here's what we all know about physical wounds, right? Because we're talking emotional wounds and, and, and even mental wounds and relational wounds. What we know about physical wounds is this. If you don't tend to a, a wound in your body, what happens to it? It could get infected. And if the infection isn't treated and it spreads, ultimately you can die. So a few years ago, I had a, I had a wound, I had a surgery. And if you know this term, you know exactly what it means. My wife had to be the caretaker and pack my wound. You know, Miss Janie, you know, she, she said, oh, gee, you know, a pack in a wound means you shoving stuff in that body to make sure that it, it heals right. It's, the smells, the sounds, it's just nasty. But here's the thing. If you don't treat the wound, the end result is death. So here's what I want you to understand. The healing process and caring for a wound is messy, it's nasty, it's painful, it's disgusting. But in the end, there's a scar, which means the wound has closed up and I can talk about it now and I can show you my scars because it's been treated. That's the journey we wanna be on for a few weeks. Now, we're not going to answer everything in one day or in four weeks. So we have a website, blazechurch.org slash wounds. You can go there later today. And on this website, we have resources. There's books for you to read. There's podcasts for you to listen to. We even have links to a licensed therapist locally and a network of therapists that you can start seeing counselors. Because we, we want to go on this healing journey as a church. We want to look to the great physician, to Jesus, to see what he has to show us about the healing process. We also want to provide as many resources as possible. So today we're going to start with the first truth that the believer gets to hold on to when it comes to wounds and wound care. To do that, we're going to look at a man named Jacob. Say Jacob. We're going to look at Jacob. So Jacob's story is found in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. The Bible is broken up into 66 different books, two parts. And the opening pages show us this family. And it's so tempting to look at this family and say, man, what a good family. What a great family. We look to the Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And if you grew up in Sunday school like me, I mean, these were the heroes of the faith. They were all, we, Father Abraham had many. I mean, we sing songs about them. So I want to peel back the curtain for a second and show you that Father Abraham, who had many sons, was also a pretty jacked up dude. He had some dysfunction in his family because it's so tempting for us when we, when we read scripture or when you get on Instagram and you see your friends post about their kids smiling and you're like, my kid just ate a crayon. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm fit to be a parent. We look and we observe others and we see this, this perfection. That's not real. That's not real. You know what? Dysfunction is real. Brokenness is real. Wounds are real. And the word for that is simply normal. Now, there is a, a degree to which it's not normal. And some of you, that is your story. The environment you grew up in was no, not normal in any sense of the word. And there's wounds there too. I would suggest that the environment Abraham grew up in, or rather fathered in, there was a lot of dysfunction. Let me just share with you a couple things, not to air out his dirty laundry, but it's in scripture preserved for us so that we might know how to live our lives. Abraham was a liar. He often lied about his wife. In fact, there were moments where Abraham's life was in jeopardy by a separate people group. He would offer his wife, wife up to them, say that she was his sister so that they would sleep with her so they wouldn't kill him to get her. And you tell me how that works for your marriage. <laughs> like this is a part of his life and his children saw it. 
Could you imagine if they knew their dad lied about their mom so that their dad would be protected? What did that do for their life? Abraham was told by God that through him, there would be an offspring that would bless the whole world, but God was taking a little too long to fulfill the promise. So Abraham sleeps with his wife's maidservant. So now he's got his wife and he's sleeping with another lady who gets pregnant, has a child, but then Sarai actually gets pregnant and has the child of promise. So watch this. Abraham kicks his firstborn son out of the house with his mother. Could we humanize that moment for a second? What were the screams like? Is Ishmael screaming, Dad, why are you making us go? Dad, I don't want to leave. And Isaac's watching as his brother is kicked out of the house. Why? Because Abraham had favoritism. Isaac was his favorite. How many know that will mess a family up? Knowing you're the favorite child. And that's where I want to go to the next generation, Isaac. So Isaac, we see repeating negative legacy in his marriage. There's a moment where he offers his wife, Rebecca, up to a king to say, nah, she's my sister. You can rape her. That's fine. Just don't kill me. Where did he learn that? Family of origin. He saw dad do it. It was a wound that was never addressed. And sometimes we have to go back to go forward. We have to repair things so we don't repeat things. We have to feel it so that we can actually heal it. But when a family just doesn't talk about the wounds and you just keep going, just keep going and we're never stopping to slow down because it's painful, it's messy, there's fear associated with it, things get repeated. And so Isaac repeats what his father showed him, favoritism. And that's where our story is going to pick up. We're going to look at two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Now here's why this matters. We've got to understand our family of origin, our family tree, our family dynamic because Pete Scazzaro says this. He says, Jesus may be in your heart but grandpa is in your bones. So what does that mean? You, you can give your life to the Lord. You are saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? You still have a genogram. You still have a family of origin. You still have, you know this, you see, well, my father abused alcohol, his father abused alcohol and his father, and I'm just repeating what's been shown to me. It's because grandpa's in your bones, but here's the hope. Here's the, here's the hope. The task of discipleship is to get Jesus more and more into your bones. How many are thankful that Jesus says, I've come so that you might have life and life to the full? That Jesus says, I've come to make you a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's hope for us. What that means is it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not valid for you to say, well, I've always done this. It's just what I know. Well, now you're invited to know a God who makes things new. That's the hope of Jesus. But we don't want to just brush over our wounds, and that's what we're going to see. So Jacob is born. And right at his birth, right at his birth, we see something interesting take place. So we're going to start in Genesis 25. It says, When the time came for her to give birth, this is Rebecca, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Say, did I give birth to a red carpet? What is happening here? That's a red little boy. Let's name him Esau. Esau. Notice the birth of her secondborn. After this, his brother came out with his hand. What's the word? Say it. Grasping. Grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. We often say Jacob and Esau, but notice the birth order. Esau and Jacob. 
Esau was the firstborn. And in this society, it doesn't matter if you were the firstborn by days, weeks, years, or seconds, the firstborn inherits something that the other children do not. They get the firstborn rights, which means they get a double portion of the family inheritance. They become the patriarch of the family when the patriarch passes away. So can you imagine, Jacob missed it by just a few seconds. And he comes out grasping, grasping at his brother's heel. Esau emerges all red and hairy, and there's Jacob going, no, that could have been me. And he's named Jacob because names have significance, and the name Jacob literally means the one who grabs, the grasper. It gets pulled on more because of his story, and it comes to mean the deceiver or the one who will do whatever it takes. It's how Jacob is named. It's how his life begins. And in the next verse, we read something that I have read for so long. And maybe it's the context of the series. Maybe it's the journey that I'm on. Maybe it's just the Holy Spirit is so good to reveal things at the right time. How many know sometimes you read scripture and you've read it before, but suddenly it's like, oh, wow, you needed me to see this now. Look at the detail that we see the author give us about their lives. Verse 27 says, And when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. I love this because it shows that there's not just one singular descriptor of manhood. There's the guy that goes out and hunts the beasts, and then there's the homebody that knows how to keep it real at home. I'm kind of more of the homebody. I like to do things around the house. Don't, don't have me shoot anything, okay? I will miss. <laughs> I ain't gonna go hunting, but I'll help you cook it and I'll definitely eat it. <laughs> Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents, but here's the significance. You ready? Next verse. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And I've read that for so long and I never took the moment to pause and think. What does it mean that the father loved one of his sons and the mother loved the other son? Could that be a father wound that Jacob experiences knowing my dad loves my brother more than he loves me? Notice even the love is contingent on something called performance. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Can't you see? There's just a little bit of a mess going on in this family dynamic. Dad loves this son because he brings home the animals and we get to eat it. But mom makes up for the missing love from the father by loving this son. Favoritism. Don't you think that would cause some sort of a division in the family? So let's follow it. How was life for Jacob knowing my father loves my brother? And I don't fulfill what my father wants me to fulfill. I'm not the hunter. I'm not good enough. I can't perform the way my brother can. And dad's always calling Esau and he's the firstborn and he gets the firstborn rights and he's got dad's eye, but I don't. I wanna show you three moments where I believe we see this wound, this father wound reveal itself in Jacob's life. So here's a moment. It says one day, one day when Jacob was cooking some of the stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. So here's our homebody. He's testing out a new Pinterest recipe. He's got something going with the stew. He's throwing the stuff in it. It's going to be a good stew. He's mixing it all up. And in comes Esau and he's exhausted from being out in the wilderness. He is 
hungry. Say hungry. He's hungry. Esau said to Jacob, notice his language. I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. Now, we don't know if this was exaggeration starvation or if this was true starvation. How many of you are exaggeration starvation people? You miss lunch and you're like, I'm going to die. I need ice cream. I'm going to die. We don't know if he was really starved or just kind of hungry. But in his perspective, he's been outside in the wilderness. He's exhausted and he comes in and it smells good. And his brother's cooking some of that stew. And he says, give me some of that red stew. This is why I believe that they weren't Jewish. They were Italian. They must've put a little tomato paste in the stew. (laughs) Give me some of that red stew. He's cooking some sauce. Give me some of that red stew. Now in our house, uh, this is just pull back the curtains a little bit, what it means to be a pastor's kid for our children. They hear the sermon like all week long. I'm constantly, I'm asking them, does this, does this make sense? How does this sound? So I was reading this passage to my son and I, and I paused here and I said to him, I said, Nate, if you were inside and you just filled up a glass of water, you just filled up your cup and Cece was outside playing and she had been outside for a while and she comes inside and she says, Nate, I'm so thirsty. Can I please have a sip of your water? I was like, what would you, what would you say to your sister? And he said, I would give her some water. So I pushed back a little and I said, well, why? Why would you, get, that's your water. Why would you give her that? And he said these, these things. He said, well, because I love her and she's my sister. Because right? I love her and she's my sister. That's a good place. You can say, aw, it's okay. Aw. Hey, I love her and she's my sister. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if your sibling is starving, just give him some food. So what do we see Jacob say? He agrees. He goes, all right. All right, Jacob replied. But... <laughs> All right. However, there's a string attached. I'll give you some stew, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. It's just some stew. <laughs> I mean, it was Campbell's chunky beef. I mean, this must have been some good <laughs> stew. Give me, give me some stew. All right, fine. Yeah. Um, you know how you've been dad's favorite and how he loves you and how you have what's coming to you? I want that. This is gonna be the most expensive stew you've ever bought. I want, I want your first, when he says firstborn rights, that's the rights given to the firstborn, double the inheritance and the right to be the patriarch. I want everything that's coming to you because for so long I got a wound in me. Can't you see there has to be a wound if you're not even gonna give your brother a plate of stew without saying, notice what he's saying without saying it. I'm not good enough as me, so I want to be you. I want what you have, because I'm wounded. And then Esau starts kind of thinking out loud. He says, look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? It's almost like he's verbally trying to figure it out. Like, it may tell us that he's at that level of starvation. Like, he literally, who knows how long he's been out, and there is food here, and he can't go on another minute. And he's saying, what's the, I'm going to die anyway. But Jacob wants him to sign on the dotted line. Like, that's great that you're thinking about this. Notice what he says. But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. Okay, just think about it. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother, Jacob. And, you know, it's easy, or maybe it's easier for us to sit here and read this exchange between two brothers and think, Man, Esau, how could you forfeit the eternal for the temporary? Jacob, how could you be so, so uh, just jaded and, and, 
and not kind to your brother. To all. We can sit here, but how many know in your family dynamic, because you have a dynamic and you have dysfunction and you have wounds and you have moments that maybe when you've tried to share those with other people, they'll offer you like, well, here's what I would have done, but you weren't in that situation. You don't know the feelings I was carrying in that moment. You don't know the years of pain. You don't know the years of hurt. How long must the wound have been created in Jacob for him to get to the point where he says, I will not even offer you food unless you give me everything that I want. I think they both made some poor choices, but I can't say that that's true. (laughs) That's just my opinion because I wasn't there that day. They were both hurt though. Esau constantly working for dad's approval. Jacob never getting it. And here these brothers are showing us some sibling rivalry. So that's one moment. Let's go to another one where there's dysfunction because Jacob is still on a quest to become his brother. And we see that as as Isaac is getting older, he's getting ready to now give the blessing to his firstborn Esau. Here's what we read in Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were were, were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son... Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Notice the request. It's I'm getting old. My eyesight's failing. I want you to go make me one more meal, son. I wonder how Esau carried that moment. Here's dad asking me again to do something. I don't know what their relationship was like. But he says, go, 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 go get me some wild game. And then he says this, prepare me the kind of tasty food I like. Bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So even though Jacob has now received the birthright, there's still the patriarch blessing, which carries a lot of weight. For the patriarch to lay his hands on a son and bless him and set him up for success and value and influence and everything, it was still going to be a significant thing. And he calls Esau in and says, I want to give this to you. I'm blind. I'm dying. I'm aging. Go get the food, bring it back, and then I'm going to bless you. Now, when he leaves to go get the food, Rebecca, the boy's mom, Rebecca loved Jacob, hears Isaac's plan and calls, calls Jacob in It says, your father is about to bless your brother. Here's what I want you to do. Go get two goats from the flock. Bring them to me. I'll prepare the food for your dad. I know how he likes it. We're going to skin the goat. I want you to get your brother's clothes. You're going to wear his clothes so you smell like him. A little outdoor scent. We're going to put goat skin on your arms and your neck because, boy, you're a little smooth. Your brother's hairy. Got to put a little goat skin up on you just in case he touches you. Feels a little hair. And then you, don't miss this, you pretend to be your brother to get your father's blessing. You just act, because why? Because you're just not good enough, Jacob. He loved Esau. I love you. So we're going to make sure this happens. I got you, my son. And Jacob's actually resistant. He's afraid that his father will figure it out and curse him, which would be devastating. And Rebecca says, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I said. This is just dysfunction. It's just not healthy. I mean, what what level of pain does it take for you to put on dead animal skin, wear your brother's clothes, go in with a meal, and then lie to your aging blind father? It's a level of hurt and pain. It's a wound. 
and he goes in and he does it. And we're not going to read the whole text, but here's what I want you to take away. Three times, three times Isaac asks, what's your name? Is that really you, my son, Esau? He's probing because he's like, it sounds like Jacob, but it smells like Esau. And he asks him three times, what's your name? There's significance there. Because if he is to admit, I am Jacob, he would be admitting there's a wound here. I'm the grabber. I'm the deceiver. I am the one who's trying my best to get what I want so I feel good. So I feel healed and whole. And three times he says, it's me, I'm Esau. It's Esau. He's trying to be his brother. And then his brother finds out, comes back and makes a vow verbally says, I will kill my brother once my mourning for my father has passed. And Rebecca hears this and says, Jacob, you have to take off. Your brother's going to kill you. Sends him out. Now he's cast out of the family. Oh, Isaac saw that happen when Ishmael got cast out. That's been in this family. A brother getting sent out from the home. You got to go. You can't live here anymore. I mean, this is all just playing out for us in the pages of scripture wounds and wounds. Now I want to hit pause because one of the resources we're recommending, one that I am, I'm currently reading is called The Healing Path by Dan Allender. And in it, he talks about four escape routes that we could take whenever we come face to face with our wounds. Whenever we know we've been wounded, but we don't want to deal with the wound. We naturally run away from pain, don't we? I mean, it's, it's, it's intense just enough for you to be here this morning just kind of processing some of this. And so he says, there's four ways that we typically escape. We run from it. And I want to introduce you to the four and and give you my suggestion on which one I think Jacob embodied. But they'll be on the screen for you if you want to write them down. The first is this. He calls it the paranoid route. The paranoid route says, life is difficult and then you die. That's the mantra. It's always looking for the negative in life. It is always thinking that, well, life is just hard. So here's how it works with your wound. You've been wounded, really wounded. There was abuse, there was neglect, there was betrayal. And the way you justify it is you say, you know what, everything's just hard anyway. And you sweep over the deep wound to find all the negative in your life. Constantly, well, there's traffic. And of course the prices of eggs are high. And of course this, and you're just always looking, always looking because you're never dealing with the real wound. It's a paranoid route. It's just, well, this is just what it is. Life is just difficult. Always focus there. Then there's the fatalistic, he calls it. The fatalistic takes it another step up and says, you know what? You just got to roll with it. Yeah, life is hard, but you know what? People got to work through their stuff anyway. Just the hand I've been dealt. And you roll with it. So you don't naturally lean towards negativity. You just say, well, of course that happened. Bad things happen all the time. So I just roll with it. Just deal with it. Now, if you're a Christian, it gets a little worse because then you bring God into the picture and you say something like, you know what? God's in control. I just got to trust him. I can't worry about this. And you know what you do? You end up minimizing your wound. You just, you just roll with it. And the whole time there's a great physician that says, I can't put my hands on it because you won't even acknowledge it. You're minimizing what took place in your life. Now here's this next level. This is where I think Jacob was. It's the heroic. The heroic route says, well, what does not kill me just makes me stronger. So you know what? You did that to me, but watch. You were born a few seconds in front of me. Watch what I'll do. I'll get your birthright. I'll steal the Father's blessing. I'm the master of my fate. 
it's not actually dealing with the real pain. It's almost mobilizing the pain to somehow strengthen you to say, I'll, I'll show them. And yet you yourself won't take the time to look at your wound. And then here's the last one. The most annoying, in my opinion, the optimistic. The one that will just grin and bear it. The one that'll say, well, this horrible thing happened, but it all works out for the best anyway. Again, if you're a Christian, you'll say things like, well, he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. You'll quote scripture. But how do you apply that when there doesn't seem to be a reason, a rhyme, or a purpose behind the suffering you've gone through? Like, how do you in your heart, I know you can say it, but how do you in your heart just say, well, the reason why this sexual abuse took place was because God has a purpose. Optimism. We just try to grin and bear it because we're afraid to acknowledge this was painful. There have, it's happy screams, parents, don't you worry. <laughs> Waiting for your beeper to buzz. This was painful. This was, this hurt. I don't need to try to find the silver lining. Maybe I can just say this is a really dark cloud in my life. And if you struggle there, because I think a lot of us do, you need to be here next week because we're going into the story of Job. How do you find a silver lining when that man loses his children, his friends, his wife, his health, his wealth, everything? Where is the purpose? These are escape routes. We, we just run from our wounds. So here's, here's the quote. The paranoiac frowns, the fatalist grins, the hero grits his teeth, and the optimist laughs and yet no one actually faces the wound. We just run. But we don't face the wound because it's terrifying, because there's fear, because there's unknown. You guys have seen Frozen 2, right? Come on, man, she had to go find her mom. But it was scary to do that, to face that. Into the unknown. Like, that's our lives. <laughs> Disney just guessed me right here. They just know. But we, we're afraid some of you can't even say that yet. You, you're not even in a place yet where you could say, you know what, I haven't talked about it because I'm afraid of what might come up if I talk about it. Here's why I want to bring the hope of Jesus into it. Because here's why, where are we going? Knowing Christ makes a difference. Knowing Christ means we don't have to choose one of those escape routes. So Jacob runs and Jacob starts to build a life for himself. And Jacob's doing well and he's got wealth and he's got assets and he's got wives. Yes, plural, messy. Two wives, one is his favorite. How did that work? He's sleeping with two other women at the same time, trying to build a family. And then he carries on the negative legacy of favoritism, not just in his wives, but in his children. He has a favorite child. He just never went back. He re you repeat what you don't repair. You repeat what you don't repair. There he is. And he's heading back home finally after some time. And there's some good news. He hears that his brother Esau, who he hasn't seen yet since he made the vow to kill him, has mobilized 400 people and he's coming out to meet him in the desert. You guys are thinking the same thing I'm thinking, right? Esau's throwing him a surprise birthday party and he's got everybody coming and it's going to be a happy brother reunion. No. And so Jacob gets wind that his brother's mobilized 400 and he says, all right, I got to diversify my assets. And he starts sending gifts ahead to pacify Esau. And he sends off his favorite children with his favorite wife in one direction and the other kids this way. And everybody is gone. And it's the night before he's going to meet Esau. A reminder. Well, who is Esau? A reminder of the wound that he's had his whole life. He's going to meet him. 
and he hasn't dealt with it yet. And this is a terrifying verse for some of us. Genesis 32, 24. So Jacob was left alone. I think we don't know how to do that very well. Jacob was left alone. No, no Instagram notifications, no kids, no people, no work tasks, no emails. Just, he was just alone. There was silence and stillness. And then we read, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, if you've been in church before, you kind of know where this is going. But Jacob didn't know that when this stranger comes up behind him and puts him in a chokehold. He's just minding his own business and some guy just comes up and starts wrestling him. And I got to think that Jacob goes, all right, you want to go? Do you know me? My wrestling name is the grabber. You're about to get yours. And these guys go at it till daybreak. They're just wrestling. Does anyone else find that a little weird? Who is this stranger who just tackled me? And they're going at it. And then look at the next verse. It says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, the him being Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now I'm confused because the man realizes he can't beat Jacob in a wrestling match, but somehow all he does is touch his hip and he breaks it. I think he could beat him in the wrestling match. If he just had to do that and he popped it out of the socket, I think there's something going on there. And they're wrestling. The wrestling. And then the man said, let me go. Let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied and hear his reply. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And do you know, as I read that, I heard the voice of a little boy crying out. That here's Jacob still dealing with his father wound. He's still looking for a blessing. He's already stolen one. He's grabbed that one. And now this stranger he's looking at and saying, I'll let you go. You better bless me. He just hasn't dealt with the pain yet. He's looking everywhere around him to find some healing. And then the man asked him, verse 27, what is your name? Now, again, I think this is a weird question after two guys have been wrestling all night. <laughs> what kind of past introductions? You have been tackling me for the last eight hours. Why do you want to know my name right now? <laughs> That's interesting. So here's, here's what I think. The question has way more to do with Jacob's identity and purpose than his name. His name was grabber and deceiver. And the man wrestling him is saying, tell me who you are. Tell me about your life. Share with me your pain. Who are you? And Jacob has already been asked this question three times by his father, someone he knew, and he lied three times over. So Jacob now has some tension. Should he reveal who he is to this stranger? I mean, how, how cool are you at sharing with complete strangers all of your hurt and pain and the wounds? He has no problem lying. He's done it so many times. Just tell him you're Esau. Tell him you're Jerry. Make up a name. Like, who, who cares? And he's asked, what is your name? And look, Jacob, he answered. Jacob, he answered. 
focus on he answered he didn't hide he didn't run and he admits I'm Jacob I'm the grabber I'm the deceiver and it is here that we find the first truth when it comes to wound care for the Christian believers do not have to choose escape we can choose this word embrace you if you are in Christ you have the privilege to embrace your wound and here's why because you know that that wound does not name you the God who saved you gets to name you what does it mean to embrace our wound it's naming what is true and calling on the name of God to embrace a wound is to say I was abused and I'm calling on the Lord to name me because I reject a victim mentality I will not identify as a victim of abuse I was abused I'll acknowledge it and it's painful to do so but the Lord names me I was betrayed I was hurt I'm acknowledging it and the Lord names me and Look at his confession, what it leads to. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And here's where we realize this man is not just a man. It is the one who created Jacob from the beginning. And the creator alone gets to name you and rename you and form you and call you his own. That is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus says, I know this happened to you. I know you're wounded. By my stripes, by my wounds, you are healed. Come to the Father. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this moment and look at what he says and he broadens it for all of us because Paul writes that in Christ we are the new Israel. So what was promised to Israel now, we, we receive the promise. We, we receive the inheritance because Jesus is the true offspring of Abraham. Look what he says. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, the one who formed you, says this, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are, what's the word? Say it. You're mine. And only the God who created you and formed you is able to ransom your life and say, I know you're wounded. I'm going to pay the price for your wounds and I'm going to call you mine. That's the hope of the believer. That you don't have to escape your wounds. You can embrace them and know, God, you call me mine. You you call me yours. I belong to you. It's why Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and he carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. He says, I I'm the one who calls you to me, you wounded, you defeated, you the one that is struggling. I call you to me so that I can give you rest. I believe that this morning God wants to put his, he wants to put his hand on your shoulder. <laughs> he wants to say, don't forget your mind. Don't forget your mind. You belong to me. Jesus paid the price. He ransomed you. He loves you. And we'll talk next week a little bit of, well, why and how the suffering. Where's God in it? Here's what we know first. We get to embrace the wound because Jesus changes our name. He calls you his own.
So there's a prayer I want to give you that's found in the Psalms. Psalm 139:23. Let me read it and then we're going to pray it together. The psalmist writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I believe that this is a beautiful prayer for us to pray if we want to bring awareness to our wounds. Oftentimes we refuse to deal with our wounds or talk about it because there is pain associated. The healing process is painful. There's fear. Well, if I open up that wound in that conversation, it may get worse before it gets better. Yeah. There's unknown. You just may not even know that you're wounded because you've been rolling with it for so long or choosing optimism for so long or being the hero for so long. You don't even know. Isn't that beautiful that we can say, God, know my anxious thoughts. Like, show me if there's something in me. And don't just show me to burden me because we bring our burdens to him. Show me to lead me in the way of everlasting. Today isn't about guilt. It's not about shame. It's about freedom. It's about healing. And I believe that today as we pray this prayer, as you get in your car, maybe you're alone, maybe you're with someone, but the Holy Spirit can, can continue this message and say, embrace it. Talk about it. Acknowledge it. I know you've buried it for so long. I know it's terrifying. Begin to talk about the wound so that I can begin to heal the wound. He's faithful. I want to pray this together. Let's say this. Come on, let's say, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I ask you to bow your head. We're going to pray and we'll dismiss. I want to pray for you. If you know there's, there's a wound, it's been buried or you're so aware of it. And you're saying today, I want the healing process to begin. It's not going to take place in a minute, but it can start in a minute just through acknowledgement. And you're saying, Pastor Keith, would you pray for me right now? I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to ask you to stand, come out of your chair, but I do think there's something in it. A sign of surrender with a hand raised to the Lord that you say, God, would you see me today and heal the wound? If that's where you are, my hand is raised. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand high to the Lord to say, God, I'm wounded. My this room is filled with hands going up saying, I'm wounded by someone. There was someone who was supposed to be faithful and they weren't. There was a parent who was supposed to love and they didn't. There was a sibling who should have been there and they weren't. God, I am hurting. And I am calling on you to heal me today. And I've never thought of it and I've never acknowledged it and I'm terrified. But Lord, you are meeting me in this moment. And God, you see every hand that's going up right now and I believe the healing work is starting today. That as we embrace our wounds, we do so knowing they don't name us, you name us. You've ransomed us. You paid the price, Jesus, so that we could belong to the Father. And I pray that as we leave today, we would know that we are not named by our wounds. We are named by a God who says, I've called you, I've chosen you, you are mine, you are loved, you are accepted. And we're gonna deal with that wound. Starts today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Show us if there is some anxious way in us and lead us in the path of everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look at me for a moment. You might not know Christ as your savior today. You've never said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Scripture says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead, we will be saved. It's a promise. 
And I believe that right now you are invited to know the God who says, I wanna save you and make you new. And you've never acknowledged him as savior. You've never said, forgive me of my sins, be the Lord of my life. I invite you today to make that decision. In a moment, we're gonna pray as a church and the power is not in the prayer, the power is in the person. His name is Jesus. He paid the price for your sins but we want to surrender our lives. And so if you want to know Christ today and you're saying, Pastor Keith, I want to be saved. My sin's forgiven. I want to be made new. I want to be an adopted child of God. We're going to pray. And as we're praying, you're saying, Jesus, save me. Why don't you raise your hand in that moment and say, forgive me of my sins, Lord. Be the savior of my life. If that's you in this moment, raise your hand and we're going to pray as a church. Church, let's say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be forgiven. Thank you for new life. Today, I surrender mine. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name, amen.